You are listening to the award-winning The Young Jerks with Mike Crawford. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to The Young Jerks. It's Mike Crawford. We're going to be speaking to a guest tonight. It should be a pretty chill, hopefully chill show, uh, which means we should be able to get phone calls in too. So if you do want to call in tonight, we should have open phone lines. I did set that up so you can call in 978-560-3155 is the phone number. My name is Mike Crawford. We could be talking about uh, True Leaf, of course, things that we didn't even get to cover on the last show. But uh, tonight I want to bring up a guest. Maybe we might mention True Leaf. I know True Leaf gets the, always gets the phone lines buzzing. So I have to bring it up because if I don't bring up True Leaf, people are like, what about True Leaf tonight? But we're talking cannabis, and we could get into True Leaf. But uh, tonight we're talking to uh, Chris, Chris Becker. He's with the Honey Bee Collective. He's somebody I want to have on the show for quite a while, uh, specifically to talk about his, what the Honey Bee Collective is. He's a co-founder of it, and and I'd love to hear more about it. And, you know, also some of the discussions that we have on Twitter. He's very popular on social media. Uh, you know, kind of flesh it out in person. So welcome to the show, Chris Becker. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's uh, an honor to be here. I appreciate your show and all the advocacy you've been doing over the years. You likewise. Thank you. And where are you located right now? Where are you at? I- I'm physically sitting uh, in the parking lot of a dog park in Denver, Colorado. Oh, um, Denver. Yeah. So what's a Denver dog park like? Is it is it like everywhere else, I'm guessing, like my dog park? Or is it is anything different about Denver's dog park? A lot, the, the dogs skew a little bit bigger than other places, I think. But other than that, that's pretty much the same everywhere you go. Awesome. And you're with the, I like that the dogs are larger in Colorado. They're giant dogs in the dog parks. <laughs> <laughs> my little guys might not like it. They, they get scared of the big dogs. They, they sometimes hide. It's funny. I actually saw a, uh, what was it? It was a wiener dog yesterday. No, it was a chihuahua. It was wearing armor to protect it from bigger dogs. It had um, like a broom, like a Prussian warrior's helmet sticking up and then spikes like on a goth collar. Uh, it was very interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. Cause I've seen those, but we use those for like coyotes. Like that's what, yeah. <laughs> like for wildlife and they're using it in the dog park. That's like, that, you know, it makes sense. Cause I've the dog myself, I'm a dog walker. People know that. And I, I do uh, dog care. That's my full-time business. And sometimes I go to the dog park, but I, I just, I, I, I get too stressed out of the dog park. I try to be a chill guy, but it's, it's, it can be stressful at the dog park and it's usually not the other dogs. It's usually the other owners, honestly, mm. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting in a small town. Other people love to go to the dog park, but I, I, I more like the trails and, and the walks and things like that. But we're not here for dogs, but we could talk about your dog, B, who is uh, a big star on social media. And she, Oh, she's right there. I can see her. See, I got to <laughs> enlarge you now so we can see B. This is, we've got Honey Bee Collective up here. I want you to tell us about Honey Bee. Uh, yeah, tell us all about what Honey Bee is and, and you know, what you're doing with that. Cool. So the Honey Bee Collective is a sustainable cannabis brand. We're based here in Colorado. Uh, we're expanding into New York this year. Um, we're, we were founded on three pillars. We're employee-owned for a more equitable future. Uh, we're community-driven to make sure that people are getting what they want and that we're evolving with uh, what the, the everyday consumer wants. 
Um, and we identify as a sustainable brand. So we strive to provide products and product choices that are environmentally friendly and people friendly. I got to uh, compliment B too, because now I'm watching her and uh, she's just chill. Like I know she went to the dog park, but uh, my dog, he, I have him in here sometimes when, when, you know, I'm alone and he, you know, I'm doing the dog sit with him and he's ends up running around the room, jumping in my lap. Is V always like that? She just sits by your side and 95% of the time, exceptionally chill. Yeah. We got her when she was about four months old and I've been selling weed legally the whole time. So uh, she started going to dispensaries with me. We'd go to eight, 10, 12 a day. So she's met thousands of people and uh, lo loves her job er earns way more than I do. That's awesome. <laughs> she looks wicked cute. I'm, I'm in love with B now. I already was, but now I like seeing her on video. Oh, how cool she is. So uh with Honey Bee, like it's it's very different, in my opinion, that you are employee-owned. Like there aren't a lot of uh, employee-owned opportunities, I think, right now in cannabis. Am I correct on that? That's correct. Um few and far between i actually couldn't name another employee-owned cannabis company there are a few cooperatives which are functionally very similar um, but not quite the same um, we were really looking to create a business model that uh, rewards the people that are creating value for the business right um, i worked for a couple of uh, other cannabis companies both a testing lab and a vertically integrated company and um, while they were good opportunities, there wasn't really an option to have ownership in the business. And I, I lived in Maryland. It was a limited license state. So there, there were no options to be an owner in the cannabis industry in the state that I lived in. And I found that very frustrating. And so we wanted to create a brand. I understood the brand business model and that it takes less money and that it's a little bit more flexible. You can take it more places. Um, and give the workers ownership in the business so that they would have uh, a real financial return if the business is successful. And how has that been going? Like, cause you know, it's, you're, it's different. I'm wondering how the financial results are and how is the, it going for the employees? Um, so currently we have one full-time uh, employee that's a salesperson. And we're, uh, we've grown from zero stores about 18 months ago to selling in uh, 38 stores as of this week. Um, we closed a few more this week. So we've got one full-time employee and um, she, we, we, we guarantee everybody that works with us a livable wage. We uh, find that through the MIT living wage calculator. And then we add a little bit because it's a livable wage isn't really enough. It should be a thriving wage. And um, so far, so good. I mean, we are uh, approaching profitability um, and we, we are on a sustainable path. If we don't grow the business too much and if we want to grow it, we just need to raise a little bit of money to absorb the costs of like opening up new states, bringing on new employees. But um, it, it's going very well. Now, what states are those stores in that you're, you know, that you're providing product to? Currently, they're all in Colorado. Uh, we are dropping product in New York, um, hopefully uh, late September. Um, packaging is getting delivered to our partner there very shortly. So uh, so soon New York, uh, Colorado. Any other plans to go to other states, you think, or not? Um, we're, we're, in, we're in talks in Massachusetts. We're in talks in New Jersey. Um, I'd say we're 
probably at least six to 12 months in, in either of those from actually having any product in market. Um, but those are two that we have our eye on, um, states that we, states where people share our values, right? I, we, we did a lot of surveys when we built the brand, um, to make sure that we were giving people what they want and the ideals that we're uh, talking about, you know, employee ownership, sustainability, that kind of thing. Um, we pull really well on the coasts. Um, but when I've pulled in places like Michigan, we get called like commie weed bullshit. You know what I mean? Not everybody appreciates what we're doing, so it's fine. <laughs> so, um, I, is this like, do you do medical adult use or both like in the States that you're in and going into? We're only in the adult use market in Colorado. Um, the, the medical market here is, is severely declining, um, so there's not a lot of opportunity for us there. Um, in New York, we will also be adult use only. Um, yeah, I mean, we're not like a wellness brand or anything like that. We're a, we're a, we're a fun brand. We're a, a brand that uh, gives you a choice in a product you're already using that you can know it's environmentally friendly and people friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we're trying to do is make it easier to choose product that aligns, that aligns with your values when you spend that money. What about Massachusetts? Is that adult use too? That'll be adult use. See, that's what's killing me. Cause like, you know, I, I tr- mostly as my, I'm talking about personally as a consumer, I travel quite a bit to uh, Maine, the state of Maine for product for, you know, cause I'm on the medical side. So they accept our, our cards up there. The products are phenomenal, but a lot of times I don't want to drive mm. and all the best brands now are on the adult side. But the tax is 20%. So it's like, mm-hmm. it just, it's tough to make a medical patient pay the 20% like myself. And it's just like, I'm hoping we're going to change that. We're trying to change that to like basically allow medical patients to buy adult use without taxation. Like that's hopefully going to happen. But uh, there's a bill right now. But I just kind of sucks. Like I, I actually went yesterday and bought adult use. I paid the tax. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, because, there, you know, there are medical stores up here, but they, they, they just kind of suck. There are the old school ones. They're the big companies. They don't, you know, Yeah. I don't want the product. It's, a, you know, uh, people always think it's about the price. A lot of it is about the price, but it's also at a certain point about the quality. And, and for, for sure. me, like, that's the biggest thing. I want good price with good quality and mm-hmm. it's hard to find, you know, and, and when you add the 20% tax on. So I just hope the regulators catch up to that, that, the medical's dying, you know, we gotta, I think we gotta throw a lifeline to the patient somehow. I hope, uh, I know some of them listen locally in Massachusetts. So I hope that's a topic of discussion for states that are losing their medical because the best so. brands Ma- are adult Maryland, use. Now. Maryland did that too with their adult use statute. Medical patients can buy without the tax. Um, it, it, it does help support the medical market. It keeps, it gives people an incentive to keep the card. Otherwise they're just going to, um, drop the card and pay the tax. And for some, for some states, that might be what they want. But um, if you really are writing policy for the patient, for the, the constituent, um, yeah, they shouldn't have to pay the tax if they have the medical card. And the thing is, with adult use, the amount of patients has gone down anyway. So it's like it's, this isn't a large amount of people. These the, the people that are left as patients generally are really patients now. You know what I mean? Like in the past, it was like your only option to get cannabis was to be a patient. So everybody was a patient. But a lot of the, you know, adult use folks now aren't patients. So 
for sure. Like folks like me, I'm a real patient. Like I got real medical issues, like a lot of people do. So I hope the uh, legislators and the and the you know the commissioners take that up. But um, let's talk about some other things too, because I know that um, you've been following what's going on in New York. There's a a lawsuit that basically did an injunction. And it kind of like there, there already a lot of problems in New York. And then this lawsuit just threw in the monkey wrench. And I know that you were like going heavy on Twitter about it. And I don't want to like lay out exactly what's going on. Cause I know I'll get some details wrong. Could you kind of tell us what's going on in New York? Sure. Um, I'll talk about it broadly. Cause I don't want to get any particular legal details wrong either on live, but um, in general, uh, the state legalized weed two years ago and they gave a bunch of licenses, 460 something, I believe, to justice impacted individuals over the past few months. They had an open application period for people that had uh, prior charges and um, they gave out a lot of licenses. Um, but some people didn't get licenses. Um, and there's a group of uh, veterans who have sued the state of New York um, with some justification that veterans are included in the marijuana regulation and taxation act as a uh, class that is supposed to be uplifted with the, the legalization and all these revenues and potential profits that come along with it. Um, so they sued the state of New York to um, have themselves included and, and, and open up the licensing applications for uh, veterans in addition to justice impacted individuals. Um, and then a group called the Coalition for Access to Safe and Regulated Cannabis um, has joined that lawsuit. And that coalition is made up largely of, um, in New York, they're called ROs, but it's, it's multi-state operators that have large uh, cultivation and um, d dispensary operations in New York. They're um, joining the suit and they want the state to they're saying the state should open up licensing to everybody, um, which there may be some merits to that, but uh, there's also a lot of merit to the experiment that New York has been running and trying to give first mover advantage to justice impacted individuals that were harmed by the war on drugs. And it's basically would those other big cannabis companies eventually be allowed in the market? It, uh, is um, they just kind of like delayed? Is that what's going on, or would they, they permanently? They've always not... been. They've always been uh, allowed access at some point. Originally, the timeline was three years before they were going to be allowed access to the market. Um, that was moved up, I think, to January 2024, so right around the corner. And now it could even be as soon as October, um, if this injunction is lifted. If it's not, who knows what happens? And and basically, that's holding up a bunch of good equity applicants from opening that's really what this has done right so the 460 something applications that have been granted um, are conditional and the state has been disallowed from converting any of them to active licensees so um there were for, i i am aware of 20 plus who were ready to open in the next 30 days um, many more were ready to open in the next 60 to 90 days and until this injunction is lifted, they've got their savings tied up and their, and their entire plans tied up uh, resting on this lawsuit. See, I, I, I believe that exposes 
the whole scam of big cannabis right there because if it was just about them getting to open it would be one thing in my opinion they're actually stopping other people from opening because the, you know they want to be one of the first to open and and when you have an existing medical facility and you're a large corporation and adult use comes in this is what happened in massachusetts they all get to open first and they get the three four five year head start they get to gouge the patients for five years and and that's what they want they want that right now and they don't want competition from smaller smaller players you can see it it's so obvious it, the lawsuit isn't about them opening so much it's about stopping i mean the injunction that's what they've done they've they've stopped other smaller players from opening yep yeah i mean it seems very disingenuous to call yourself the coalition for access to safe and regulated cannabis and then at the same time be preventing opening licensed dispensaries that sell safe and legal cannabis i mean that because you know we've had equity battles in the city of cambridge we we pat you know we were behind an equity provision and the hardest thing about it was to to deny big you know to deny someone else opening in a, in a way like because that's what that did that delayed the big cannabis companies for three years from opening and allowing the smaller players to actually get a chance to open during that three-year period and not get you know monopolized out which has happened in so many other communities i mean this is the fight that we see is the small players are still trying to get open and they just they're not going to make it and they have to sue and all this crazy stuff goes on and it's because the big players have gobbled up everything and won't allow them to open it and paid off all the politicians locally so it just it's it's a really shady situation and you can totally see it and this one is like i don't know how they do that i because because i know like myself just being a little activist here you know like i felt pressure on that like taking that kind of stand they've got a lot more to lose they've got billion dollar companies and who they're not shutting out big cannabis they're shutting out the smaller players like that seems real i think a lot more people should really kind of take a look at this situation because that to me just exposes it it's like you're not even suing really it seems like to open yourself you're just suing to stop these other folks from opening before you yeah and that first mover advantage is so valuable um when when you're able to take advantage of that initial uh, price, uh, you know, higher prices that come along post immediately post legalization, they crash and stabilize pretty quickly. But um, you can make back a lot of your initial investment if you are part of that group that gets first mover advantage. And so it's really unfortunate that um, small businesses are, are being tied up like this in New York right now. Horrible. So who are the, some of these companies that are behind that organization? I know Green Thumb Industries, I believe, is one of them, right? So it's been reported in, in Burn After Reading. Uh, Eric Casey uh, put together a big, a nice profile, and Hellgate New York did the same um, when this group was founded. Um, and and so I, I don't want to name names. I, I don't want to be the face of a boycott, but I, I really think it brings attention to, you know, the importance of, spending money with companies whose values you align with and not spending money with companies whose values you don't align with or who might actively be, you know, aligned against your values and against maybe entrepreneurs and businesses that you care about. Got some comments coming in from uh, LinkedIn. Tara says, hey, I'm down for a boycott of these a-holes anytime, assholes anytime. 
don't know why I still censor myself. I, I don't think I really need to anymore. When I was back I, on the I, network, I there was a need to do it. Yeah. yeah I, I... Uh, she also writes, is this about New York? What's up? Yes, it's about New York. Oh, they are also, she also likes your puppy. Hi, puppy. Hi, B. <laughs> B. She sees some squirrels and birds outside the window. See, I knew I, there's always something. She, she was being too good earlier. But even that, even that, she she's pretty chill, like looking out the window. My dog would be, he'd be going crazy. Uh, he'd be barking too. Uh, Tara also writes, "Oh yeah, no, we aren't getting behind the lawsuits. We know it's MSO latching on to veterans. I'm a veteran. I say f that boycott MSO." And then someone else is also on the dog uh, angle says a LinkedIn user says my pups would be in the camera saying, hi, who's not talking to me. That's my dog. That is my dog. It's my time, daddy. Let me get up on your lap. I love that. Yeah, B, B, B does think she's a lap dog sometimes. So how big is B? She looks big pounds. now. How big? 60 pounds. Okay. Yeah. She's big. She's strong. I can see that too. Oh yeah. Now she's showing interest. She's she's looking all around. So um, you know, I know that we were talking about New York State, but there are other things I want to talk to about too, like um employee, the employee situation. Because I feel like uh with what you're doing is is you know totally one hundred percent what we all want to see in the industry. What would your advice be to employees at some of these companies? You know, you've seen some of the stuff that we've exposed on the show and just different employees coming on, giving their stories. What what would your advice to be to cannabis workers right now? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I've worked for a number of companies. I think that the best thing you can do is with, with any job, weed or not, is just, is look out for yourself. There, you Unless you have vested equity ownership in a business, um, you there's no reason to put that business before your health, mental or physical. Um, and, you know, I'd say, you know, learn, learn what you can and um, always be looking for a, a new and better opportunity if, if you don't feel like you're being valued where you're at. Um, I, I, I know there are some companies that treat their people well, um, but there's a lot that don't. And um, this in, in, industry is... Um, still in its infancy and, and brought in a lot of players that, you know, uh, maybe just saw a quick buck and, and now they're trying to make that off cheap labor. And, you know, I, I don't think that that's sustainable for workers or for the industry at large. I don't think it's uh, sustainable either. How long do you think before we start seeing some like major crashes here? Like it's, it's already down and out, but like, I'm like, I, I always say, like, I feel like True Leaf is going to go out of business someday. Like, do, do, do you think that will happen? Do you think some of these companies are just going to like one day just be like, we're done. It's over. You know, I, I don't think you'll see any of them say we're done. It's over. Um, you do see some divesting from states where they don't know how to make money in. Um, you do see a lot of M&A activity when um, companies are getting low on cash. Um, it seems like they're low on cash right now. Like from what I'm looking at, like true leaf and cure leaf, they don't seem like they have a lot of cash right now. Mm -hmm. and, and GTI. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how many months of burn any of those companies have or how much they might have to raise in the future. I mean, they all have the benefit of public markets, right? So um, they, they, they can theoretically raise money indefinitely. Um, Doesn't that, that get harder that, to do with the interest rates higher and their stock lower? I mean, that seems... It, it does get a lot harder in like today's economic environment. Um, you see a lot of them advocating for changes to laws that would allow them to uplist to more liquid exchanges in the U.S. so that way they could um, get money that's easier to get, essentially. Um, large, uh, large money managers aren't allowed to invest. Sometimes it's not in cannabis, but sometimes it's just they're not allowed to invest on the exchanges where these companies are traded because they're um, Canadian exchanges that aren't as highly regulated as U.S. exchanges. Absolutely. Definitely not. Is uh, it's not the same. You can't buy it. You know all those. You know, a lot of a lot of apps and things. You can't you can't buy those even Vancouver exchanges unless you're paying more money too. Um, right. Yeah. You don't get the free trade either. Exactly. If they even list it, like I don't even know if Weed Maps is even on Robinhood anymore. Like like actually, it might be. It it, it was off. That was on. I mean, you know, a lot of these companies are just. You never know. Um. Yeah, we, we do have a phone number if anyone wants to call in tonight, 978-560-3155. If you have a question for Chris Becker of the Honey Bee Collective, how long has the Honey Bee Collective been around? We started the company, um, I'll say the, the, the first inkling of an idea was uh, December 2020. Um, we had three or four interest meetings and we ran a couple surveys to, to validate the idea. Um, we've been in market since April of last year. Um, so a little bit, a little over 18 months, we've actually been selling products in Colorado. And you, like, I, I see that you have the tins, you have the calm, you have the different, uh, pre-roll like little tins. I like the look of those. Um, are those like top sellers? What are some of your like top selling products, things that, you know, people come back to the honeybee collective for the, the, our, our most selling product far and away is our 10 pack of pre-rolls. Um, there's 10 half gram pre-rolls in a tin. We select strains, um, for effects. We have peace, pause and party, which is our, our substitute for indica hybrid and sativa, um, to let people know what they can expect out of the strains that they're smoking. Um, and then we have the, have the pleasure of going to the farm and trying these strains and, and deciding which uh, mood they're going to go in. It's, uh, that's my favorite part of the job for sure. I, I would enjoy that. That would be very enjoyable. Well, when you're at when, when next time you come out to Colorado, we'll take you to visit the farm where we get if our, if our, I can farm. have a getaway from the dog business. That's I. It's so funny. People don't get my my family must think I'm nuts because I never. <laughs> you don't get a lot of my girlfriend's uh, son is getting married in in our town. Thank God, and it's going to be a great way. Like we're so excited for this, and um. She's like, don't schedule any dog walks. Don't schedule any customers. <laughs> Customer hits me up. I'm like, oh, he'll be so easy. I booked it. I booked it. When you're an entrepreneur, saying no to work is hard. I get it. Well, it's like, because especially I like, I'm like, you know what? Like we already, it's funny on this one, I wouldn't have booked it, but like I'm already in charge of our dog. Like I'm going back and forth for our dog during the wedding. We've already decided that like we don't trust anyone else and this will be easy. So I'm like, you know, I can, Winston's just like our dog. Don't, you know, it's so funny. 
So yeah, I'm always working, even on the like the one day that we arrange. <laughs> but um, so anyways, not enough about me tonight. Tell me more about Chris Becker. How did you decide to get into cannabis too? Oh man, I'd always wanted to work with weed in some way, and I, I did prior to you know legalization um, for a while. Uh, Mar so the industry first got my attention when Maryland legalized. Um, and I was actually not using any, I was, I was physically sober at the time. I didn't use any substances at all for about eight years and, um, Maryland legalized. And I looked at the law and I saw how few licenses they were giving out. And I thought, man, that looks like a license to print money. <laughs> and, it, and it got my business mind spinning. Um, and I, I tried to get a group together to apply for one of the licenses. We didn't end up getting an application together. Um, and I watched and it took a couple of years for the industry to get off the ground. Um, finally, I went to work for a vertically integrated company in Maryland. Um, I saw a brand ambassador position open up and I just applied for it. Um, I'd never done uh, brand ambassador work before, but I have a background in marketing and in sales. That's what I've done for most of my career for various companies. So uh, it wasn't too far out of line with what I was familiar with. Um, started there and then moved up into a sales role and then started working for a testing lab, um, sold weed for a company in Colorado. And then ultimately we started the honeybee collective. Awesome. And do you, I'm, I'm going to assume that you do, but do you grow cannabis too? at home i'm not growing any right now um but i do sometimes do you have any advice for first-time growers like me growing outside for the first time ever um i have a a guide that i wrote it's on our website um you can download our home grow guide uh i don't know what the link is on our so website. honeybee the honeybee collective has a, a a home grow guide on their website yeah yeah i don't uh, it's um if you go to the link in bio on my bio or on honeybee, any of honeybee collective socials, um, I know the home grow guide is there. I don't know what the link is on our website. Awesome. I'll find it. That's awesome. What other cannabis company has a home grow guide? Like that's <laughs> so like you guys get it. Like you really get it. Like I don't think anyone else does. You, you would think with all the marketing geniuses out there, that they would be doing shit like that. The big companies, <laughs> they don't though. They're it's so been the most popular download on our website by, by far. I mean, we've, we've had other resources on there, but they don't get nearly as much attention as the home grow guide. There's a lot of, a lot of desire for that information. I think some companies think that people are going to grow their own weed and stop buying weed. No. I think that most people that grow their own weed are going to a start to appreciate good weed more and what goes into good weed more. Um, and B, they probably are just going to get more into it and they, they might be more likely to try new products or buy your product. I, so I, I, I agree. I agree. Cause the more you get into cannabis, like I'm a guy who's into cannabis, like I'm buying it for everybody. Like it's like, and I'll grow it. Like, it's like you, I don't know. It just, it's like the guys who make their own beer. Like, yeah. you know, that they're at the pub. Yeah, they're at the liquor store, they, and they're they still brewing their own beer. Yeah. They, those are the, and those are like the guys that you want as customers, like beyond because you know they love beer. If they're making beer, they love beer. Like right. you know what I mean? Like that's, it's like if you're selling cannabis, you want the customers who love cannabis. 
there's been all these companies that built their brand and products for this like theoretical like kind of curious person that like were the the microdosing soccer mom the soccer moms i know smoke weed you know what yeah, I mean? They rip right. that pen hard. They're not yes. microdose like kind of curious customers. <laughs> They're acting. They end up acting like everybody else. Like me, I'm yeah. basically a friggin' square. Like I'm a jock athlete, like financial guy, sales guy. Like I'm the average kind of. You know what I mean? Like American. Like you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not out of the realm. Like you right. know, I'm not like so much of a hippie or whatever. And it's just like you're right. Like we're it's. If you're if you like cannabis, you kind of you smoke weed. Like that's it. Like it's like it's like. And, and, and we wanted to make the brand for people that are already consuming cannabis that that so that they would have that easier choice of a more sustainable product. You know, I, I was one of the things that also inspired the Honeybee Collective is I was working in a dispensary as a bud tender and I was weighing out a pound of weed. And I I weighed out an eighth, and then I thought, how much does this plastic jar that I'm putting the weed in weigh? And it weighs 12 and a half grams. So for every pound of flour that you sell in, a, in plastic jars, it creates three and, a, uh, three and a tenths pound of plastic waste. And I was just like, that is unconscionable. And I would always, when I was selling wholesale, I would go to places and I would see tubes from joints that I had sold littered in the parking lot. And I would just be so upset that like I'm contributing to this poisoning of our environment right and i like to be outside and i like to go hiking and so does b and i hate to see all that kind of trash everywhere i go so we 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 decided to go with more environmentally friendly packaging solutions that hopefully don't cause that same kind of waste so tell us about that too because there's like i know the tins what up what like what like what's the difference between what you're using and just the plastic that doesn't get recycled we know like i know that now you know, we throw the plastic at our recycling bins, it ends up in the landfill. Like totally. The, yeah. the, the, the whole thing has changed in the last couple of years. The costs have gone up. There's nowhere to, to recycle it anymore. So the plastic ends up going th- thrown out. It's not being recycled. I think glass gets recycled. I think you know, other things get recycled, but plastic definitely is not. What yep. are you guys doing? Like what's different about what you're doing and what are they doing? So we're constantly looking for the most environmentally friendly solution that we can get. Um, right now, what we're using is tin for our 10 packs of pre-rolls and for our uh, flour. And for our two pack of pre-rolls, we use a compostable tube. It's home compostable. So you can just put it right in your home compost bin. Three to six months, it'll be uh, degraded. Um, we went with tin because when we looked at plastic, glass, tin, all these different options, it was the best combination of recyclability and um, product preservation, right? The, the, the best packaging would be no packaging. And if I could just sell you a bag, like a, a bulk bag of joints, that would be awesome. But <laughs> it wouldn't protect the joints. You wouldn't have a good experience. Um, cardboard is okay. But at the time, we couldn't find a, car, a cardboard and compostable bag solution that was CR certified, child resistant. So um, we went with tin and tin is about 90% recycled. When you put it into a single stream bin, it does get reused and it can be reused indefinitely. It doesn't suffer any loss of integrity. Yeah. Um, you can just keep making new tin from, from the same old stuff over and over again. So, um, and it's also light, 
glass is highly recycled too but it's really heavy to transport like and and also as a exactly. butt tender like i like you break it my back picking yeah. up just a, a you can it breaks guard. and it breaks too and and can you know that's what i always worry about is when i have my cannabis in the glass if you break the glass and the cannabis has shards in it like mm -hmm. oh man so yeah yeah, so we we didn't love the glass, and also you need a top for the glass. And at the time, there weren't, I don't think, compostable tops. I think you can get compostable, and and also hemp biochar tops now, which is cool. Um, and so it's we're we're not like married to our packaging, but we want it to be a good experience and and as environmentally low impact as we can possibly make it. Now the pricing on that stuff, the tin and the compostable, is it like comparable to plastic? Like, is there a reason why everyone else is using plastic? And it's not really comparable. So, like, when you look at uh, our two pack of pre rolls, right? Uh, if you wanted to get a plastic tube for that, you could probably get it labeled for under twenty five cents when you buy it in bulk, and we're paying about sixty cents in the volumes that we're buying it for. So it's quite a bit more expensive. Um, the tin, um, I'd say that, that for joints, right, the cheapest solution is probably going to be a cardboard and plastic combination uh, or, or a straight plastic combination. Um, we do pay a little bit of a premium, but it's not quite as much. I'd say it's like a 30% premium and not like a 60% premium, um, but it is still more expensive, um, you know people will pay a little bit more for um, environmentally friendly products. They, they told us that in surveys and they've shown that um, in real life since we've been in market. Um, so it's not like we're trying to pass along a tax to the consumer, but at, at, at the end of the day, we all need to pay for our external, the externalities of our decisions someday, or it's just being passed on to future generations. So I agree 100%. I will pay oftentimes a little more, just so that I have less guilt about it. Like I <laughs> yeah. feel guilty by all the plastic that I throw out every week. It's just like, you know, people talk about greenhouse gases and the environment and all that stuff. I worry more about the plastic. Like, I just think there's, there's just too much crappy plastic. When you look at the ocean, it's filled with that micro scum of plastic. It just, it gets into everything. And that is like, I don't know. It just seems so like, uh, you know, part of the greenhouse gas thing for me, it's just like, you know, how are we going to fix that? Because people need to drive, people need to heat their homes and things. But in the plastic, it just seems so stupid. It's like, we're just doing this for convenience and cost. Like there's no excuse for it. And I just, uh, it sucks that we have to pay more to not use plastic. But I feel like if more people start thinking like that, the costs go down. And I just, I just hope it becomes more of a trend because I, I hate, the amount of trash that we all throw out. It's just, especially knowing, you know, it, everyone thinks it's getting recycled and it's not. That plastic is not getting recycled. It totally does have to lead with demand a little bit and there have to be people that are willing to pay a little bit more to create the demand for the bigger companies to start using it. That's when the price starts to go down, right? When, when you have a company that buys a million a year units instead of 100,000 units, the price starts to come down a little bit for, for everybody. So yeah, hope, hopefully some bigger companies start making these uh, choices as well. I hope so. I, I applaud uh, the honeybee collective for doing that. I see some people talking about it, uh, you know, 
some business owners before they were licensed they're telling me that they were going to go that route and then they didn't you know so it's like it's just funny how people talk a good game and then it comes to uh, uh we got a co couple comments uh from uh someone who's watching on youtube he said damn i want a sub i'll say why wouldn't you and then he says but you got 666 subs <sighs> oh man i guess he's satanic that's okay yeah you know what like we want more than 666 so please give us give us 667 buddy please please subscribe <laughs> anyone who's watching please subscribe and he also asked you have a check out stick 666 i don't think i like him actually i think i have checked him out you know who i did like too was like the satanic temple i actually have done work with them so i have some satanic uh credibles but they've also got some issues too well, i'll just put it that way i don't want to get into the satanic temple stuff but they're suing people which i think is weird not not like you know the right wingers they're suing some of their own people which i think is very weird uh but oh, this person yeah. sells like the right wingers but. yeah i like when they <laughs> sue the right wingers but i i think like even in boston they sued the city of boston it was so stupid they lost it's like they lose oh. a lot of lawsuits but i can't i can't badmouth the satanic temple though i can't they they used to pay me i'm coming out i used to work for the satanic temple actually <laughs> and like, i grew up christian catholic i still believe in god and all that but i kind of liked what they were doing and i needed some money i was just answering emails for them <laughs> love that i'm coming out tonight i'm coming out this is the first time you've told that publicly i don't know i may have hated that they've been on the show before you know i don't know i, I may have i don't know they have disclosed it when but it's so funny them. back when i was working for them they were like dude don't tell anyone they were like seriously people come after us like you don't know you don't want to bring this into your life they're like oh, i won't tell anyone it's the way it was run like in the very beginning <laughs> I, I, I'm coming I, out I can, now. I believe it. I mean, yeah. I could I could see them being targeted by all kinds yeah. of people. So yeah. So I had some weird name that I would respond. I can't even remember what it was actually. You don't well, remember I'm, your satanic temple? Pet no, name? no, because I think it was like <laughs> I think I was because the person who had done it before. I actually do remember it. It was Eva. <laughs> I'm giving away all the secrets now. I'm probably gonna get. They're probably gonna come after me. <laughs> I better be quiet. <laughs> i don't even know how we got on this oh i know what it was this this guy's talking about how i'm at 666 right now and subs on youtube guys put us over 666 somebody need, please subscribe to this yeah show. we need a thousand we need a thousand <laughs> give us a thousand i actually want to thank everyone too uh for you know just all the new subscribers lately over the last months uh for youtube and itunes and all those places it's unbelievable especially the like itunes and spotify it's like wow thank you so much i want to thank all our listeners too i want to thank chris tonight for being on the show i'm, I'm sure you have other things you want to talk about what anything that you want to kind of bring up tonight too that you know maybe the cannabis community doesn't know about or they should know about or anything you want to promote oh man um yeah so we're we're actively raising money right now um, through a crowdfunding platform. I'd love to promote that. Um, if anybody is interested in supporting our business, if you like what you've heard today about employee ownership and sustainability in the cannabis industry, uh, we are raising money, uh, and you can be you can own an interest in the Honeybee Collective and and help us compete on a broader scale and bring our values to more states. Um, and pay people livable wages and give them equity ownership in this industry that work for us. So 
Um, you can go to mainvest.com and search for the Honeybee Collective. It's also in uh, the link in our bio and all of our social media at Honeybee Collective on or at the.honeybee.collective on Instagram, at Honeybee Canico on Twitter, um, the Honeybee Collective on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, so, and you yeah. have a link tree too, right? Link trees in our bio. Yep. Yeah, I got that up on the screen too for people watch, watching at home. It's uh, link tr.ee slash honeybee collective. Nice. Thank you. Um, yeah. So if you want to uh, be an owner in the honeybee collective, um, would love to have you check out the main best page. My contact info is on there. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Um, and, um, you know, I'd really just love to encourage people to, again, to support companies that they share their values, you know, it's not easy um, sometimes to figure out who owns cannabis companies and, and who they are and what they're about. But um, the ones that are smaller tend to be more transparent, I think. Um, and they need your support more. Um, cannabis is a hard industry to be in. Um, so seek out those smaller companies that you share their values and, and support them financially uh, with your purchases. It's, it's really important right now um, as the industry is basically ripe for consolidation. I mean, I think we have 300 less licenses and um, about 800 less workers in the Colorado cannabis industry over the past year. Um, it's just rapidly shrinking. Companies going out of business are getting bought up. Um, and I think that consumers are, are better served when there's a diverse industry of smaller businesses rather than just being served by uh, a few large conglomerates now is the tax revenue gone down in colorado with those lost jobs or not um our total sales have gone down and so that would indicate a, a, a loss in tax revenue as well yeah we're um we're declining year over year for the past several months um so there is less tax money they've raised the taxes in some cities um and the the marijuana enforcement division actually recently raised their fees, both for workers to get their industry badge and background check and for relicensing renewals and that kind of thing. Um, oh my God. That seems so ass backwards. It's like, yeah. it's, instead of like cutting barriers to expand the market, you're, you're raising like that's, if you're worried about Oh my God, that's just so crazy. I can't believe they're doing that. Like, cause that, will, that was my next question. What have they done? Cause that, that's what I'm worried about. Like, I'm wondering what Massachusetts is going to do when our revenues start going down. Cause that hasn't happened yet, but I, I think it's going to happen eventually, like within the year or so, like if not sooner, mm. what, like it's, it's, it's to me to raise the prices that that's just seems really not a smart move. Um, well, I will give them credit for, um, not raising and i think there's a reduced fee schedule for social equity businesses so they are still trying to like mass encourage more social equity participation um, in the industry and i think that those fees are lower um there's all kinds of other issues with our social equity programming where practically people can't get licenses because of uh zoning setbacks and that kind of thing but um at, at least from the regulatory uh like funding perspective it's, from the state yeah it's just like massachusetts the state is cool but then you have to get by the local city and town and they're zoning bs and you end up having to sue the city and 
Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Same deal. Yeah. Local control has been a disaster for cannabis businesses everywhere. So let me ask you about the, the, the funding round. You talked about the main vest. People can invest. How has that gone? Like, is the response been good? I imagine it has been, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, we raised, this is our second fundraising round. Our first round broke records. Um, and it was really cool. We raised $250,000 from 203 people. Um, this time we've raised uh, $60,000 so far, I think from another 45 or 50 people. Um, I'd have to look at the stats again. Um, so, so it's like a thousand dollars a person. It's kind of what, it, what like or maybe a little more, but that's kind of like the average. That's the average. Yeah. Um, you can invest with a hundred dollars, um, and you can invest amounts up to $500,000. Um, not that I expect anybody to, to, uh, kick that in today, but, um, yeah. And this, this is anyone can be, it doesn't have to be like a qualified investor with $3 million. Anyone can throw in. Anybody with a U.S. bank account. Awesome. And you, you, so even if you're like a Canadian citizen or something, you can throw into? I, I think if you have if a you U.S. Have... bank account, you could, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So that's that's great. I hope I hope you get, uh, you know, more partners there because I, I want to see more of this, you know, sustainable, you. caring about your community, caring about, you know, the environment, caring about customers and workers, especially like that the – you know, more than, you know, even what they say for a liv- livable wage is, is what we need to see in the cannabis industry. So I, I guess, um, like final thoughts, I guess on the worker angle, um, there's a lot of organizing going on too in the cannabis industry, but a lot of times it doesn't go anywhere. Um, like, do you think that's just normal, like the way it is in, in America right now, or do you think it's more in the cannabis industry there's more pushback to unions and things like that. Um, I mean, there's like a direct correlation with the loss of union power, right. On a federal level and, and the, and the decline in union participation just across industries. Um, and I, I think there's some like thought that, you know, a, a union's not going to help me. Um, and I think, cannabis industry workers, whether they're owners or employees, I do think that there's a tendency to be a little bit more independent um, and maybe not want to be a part of a a big, you know, thing with bureaucracy to it, um, even if it does have your best interests at heart, right? So I I understand why there's some resistance. Um, I hope it'll change. Um, You know, I mean, we're, we're not a union. Our workers aren't unionized, but we only have one that's not a founder um and we're not opposed to it in any way we would very much embrace it if we had a team of employees that wanted to unionize um doesn't seem like you will when they're owners the owners are the workers so it's kind of yeah we, we give people most of the benefits that a union would give you as far as representation with management and um and a livable wage is concerned right um we we, at, we, we did a lot of research about cooperatives, employee ownership, traditional business models, and we decided employee ownership best encompassed our ideals of wanting to give workers a voice in management and exposure to the profits. Um, and so we do um, engage our workers, you know, again, the one that we have right now, um, and we'll continue to do that as far as our management decisions are concerned. Um, 
we try to, we have like, you know, an unlimited time off policy and we actually embrace using it. Um, you know, we, we, we even, we even implemented a four day work week recently. Um, and, and we're doing four eights, not four tens and productivity has never been higher. Um, you know, when, when you say to somebody, Hey, here's how you can do your job in 32 hours a week and you don't have to work those other eight hours if you don't want to, they'll get that shit done. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I used to work a union job. We did four 10 hour shifts. And then if you wanted to on Friday, you could come in and make more money overtime. Mm. That was awesome. I, I, yeah. yeah, that's how I got myself through college. You know, I'd work five days a week, every week I do 40, yeah, basically 48 hours a week, you know? Mm. eight hours ot getting union money it was unbelievable nice for me back then you know in college but um yeah i think i love four-day work weeks i agree it's it's you can get so much more done quickly uh you know who needs a fifth day really and if you do a fifth day i want to i want overtime <laughs> right yeah I but mean, um three-day weekend should be the norm yeah yeah it's great so uh you know i Oh man, I had another question too related to what we were just talking about, which is the union issue. I'm not sure where I went. You caught me off guard with the. I, I just go to my OCD tonight. It's okay though. We'll we'll come up. I'm I'm sure I'll come up with a, a the thought like right as I'm leaving. I'll be like, we, we're done with the show. Have a good night, Chris. Let me ask you one more question. <laughs> How I always do it to people. <laughs> But I, I, I want to thank you so much for coming, you know, being on the show tonight. Um, oh, I know what it was. It was a selfish question. It was about me. Because you, you know what I really want is I want the five, the five gram, 10 joint in Massachusetts. How much do you sell those for in, in Colorado right now? How much like do you, how much does that retail for? They're, they're retailing between 38 and 46, depending on um, the store that you're in. Um, but our, our wholesale price keeps what, going up is 38. Is it like with the wholesale price? Do you usually like double? Like, well, how does that work? Like, yeah, I, but, uh, I'll pull the, pull the curtain back a little bit for the listeners. Most stores shoot for a hundred percent markup, which is a 50% margin. Um, if they don't charge that in cannabis because of 280E, they are probably losing money when they sell stuff, um, because they can't write off their expenses related to selling. So, um, 100% is the minimum. Um, and then some stores are able to get a little bit more than that if they're in a, you know, a high traffic area, a, a, you know, a richer neighborhood, that kind of thing, a tourist area here in Colorado. Now, I hear from a lot of the smaller growers, especially in Massachusetts, that they're having a lot of issues with getting paid from, from you know, the dispensaries that they sell them, sell the product to. Do you, do you run into that a lot too? Is that an issue or is that not so much an issue in Colorado at this point? It is an issue in Colorado. I see people complaining about it in industry, like social networking pages. Um, we had one client that we were doing marketing for that never paid us. Um, and we had one dispensary customer that um, has paid down their bill, still owes us a little bit of money. Hmm. And, and, and I mean, that's got to be tough when, you know, you're, you, I'm sure your margins are pretty tight. It's, be it, tough it, it's really tough. Yeah. Especially for us as a brand, um, you know, we, we don't own the grow. We don't um, do the rolling our joints ourselves. We do all of that through a partner um, that has the, the actual license to touch the plant. Right. Um, 
so our, our margins are slim and we don't get paid until they get paid. So yeah, it is very tough for, for a brand or for the grower to not collect. I mean, they have very real expenses in growing that product and rolling joints before they ever send it out the door. So, and so are you going to be doing that same type of, uh, because I know that makes you different too. Are you going to do the same thing in Massachusetts? Like you'll it's kind of like almost like a licensing and, and a, like a program. Um, How does that work? Like when you go to a state like Massachusetts, do you do the same thing as Colorado or is it, a little different so that's the easiest way to do it and and the way that we will probably do it um we are actively working with some partners to try to potentially acquire um ideally retail we'd like to acquire a, a number of retail stores that um we could make into employee owned or cooperatively owned depending on where we can get the financing um and in that case we would then be a plant touching company in, in a state where we would execute that strategy. Um, but for now, you know, easiest and, and what, what the capital that we have available, um, the licensing deals, uh, are, are the fastest way and, and give us a chance, right? Cause there's already across the country so much grow and processing infrastructure. You see it. Sometimes you see it like, being repurposed already right the industry is still very new but you see these uh places becoming redundant already um so we want to help empower growers that are already licensed but maybe don't um sell as much product as they'd like to to have a brand that is compelling and gets them a great margin um and helps us lift up growers who are doing their best to you know make environmentally friendly product do you think there comes a certain point when people are selling all these grows that that it'll be worthwhile to even buy them? Because I I always wonder like I, we're seeing stuff getting sold now and people you know just giving up licenses. Is there a certain point where it's like okay now it's time to to, the, the, to get the, in on this because the price has come down so much. <sighs> Honestly, I don't think so for indoor growing in a lot of places. Um, if you look at it here in Colorado, you cannot make money um, growing weed indoors in Denver um, unless you have some real secret sauce, whether that's like automation or you're like really fucking your employees over or, or like your profits are going to come from somewhere and they're not coming from your lease or your electric bill. Right. Um, so how, how do, why do people stay in business? Cause I'm hearing the same thing from growers, especially the ones that don't like, you know, I've, I've said some of their gripes not being paid, things like that, but their costs are so high. They're not making a profit. What, like, I know a lot of them are questioning whether they should stay in business. Some people have already gone out of business at a certain point. I, I have to feel like, why would like, it seems like we have a big problem here. Like if we're going to lose our growers, where are we going to get the good product? Yep. Yeah, we, we do have a problem for sure. Um, I, I think that if you really want to get good product, you know, find some good outdoor and greenhouse growers that do have a competitive cost of production um, and support them. Cause I think that product tends to be superior. You know, there's some study, there was a study done um, growing the same plant indoors and outdoors um, and comparing the minor cannabinoids, terpenes, stickiness, the only metric where outdoor struggles against indoor is bag appeal, in my opinion. Every attribute uh, otherwise is superior. 
Um, and I get that like, yeah, sure. You have like higher controls inside, but like the cost of production outside is so cheap. Like I, <laughs> you can just grow so much more and just cut all the good stuff out. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, um, so yeah, I don't know what the solution is there. And I, I don't know that like some of these assets will ever be worth anything. Um, like I said, they're, they're, they're going, they're going away with no value. Like people can't sell the licenses because they're attached to a lease where you, you couldn't make money if you bought that business. So I don't That's know. Stupid. I don't see it changing. I think a lot of growers, you know, they hang on as long as they can because they're passionate. And sometimes they think that the price is going to go up. Um, so far it hasn't gone up. I mean, there, there was a period during COVID where it went up from like, it was trending down, but like, I think for the most part, it just keeps going down. I guess my last question tonight, because we've, we've covered quite a, quite a bit of the uh, kind of just like what's going on with the industry in terms of growers and margins. There's a thing where the MSOs have been pushing uh, safe banking forever. Would safe banking doesn't fix 280E, does it? No. I mean, that, that to me seems crazy. Like if, if they're ever going to get anything passed, shouldn't 280e be the thing that they try to fix not safe banking safe banking seems like really i don't know like you said it gets maybe their stock ticker on you know chicago or something else some other exchange over vancouver but it and, does, and 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 seems and small as it, stands, it seems small it yeah as as it's written safe banking doesn't help them uplist um there's even a rumor that safe banking has been tabled for now because MSO lobbyists are pushing to include language that would explicitly allow them to uplist to U.S. exchanges. Um, look, I'll, I'll take out my tinfoil hat here, right? If I had public financing and a essentially a too big to fail like footprint across the country that I had like invested hundreds of millions of investor dollars in. Um, I might bank on incrementalism to be a better strategy to choke out smaller businesses and competitors, right? If I'm confident that I can keep that money coming in and I don't need to fund my operations from cash flow, choke them out. You know, that that's the big advantage that public companies have against smaller privately financed companies is that like they can sell at a loss because it's not their money. And like, they, like Amazon. Amazon yeah. sold for a loss in books, for but year. all the bookstores out of business, and then the book prices came up. Yeah, it's like it's what you know. It's what Amazon has done in every you know thing that they've been in is they sell at a loss until they put their competition out of business, and then they raise the price. Yeah, what Walmart did that too. Like they yeah, would, Walmart, Walmart would yeah. Walmart would put two WalMarts in a city until all the small businesses were out of business, and then they would close one of the WalMarts. <laughs> like, and then raise the prices and then yeah yeah so it's um it's just you know big wall street strategy against you know smaller businesses that are trying to do better than that yeah it doesn't i i don't think it's a conspiracy theory i think you're right on the mark on that that's probably why they they secretly don't want 280 to disappear and it's probably like uh like i always look at the long game too like I, i'm convinced that some of these companies are set up to sell out I think that I mean, the big, big alcohol, big tobacco. I think they already know in some cases who they're going to sell to. I, I, I think you're right on the money with that. Um, I think a lot of them are built to sell and be acquired either by 
pharma or big tobacco. And I mean, like everybody that wants an exit is thinking about who's going to, who they're going to sell to. You're either building your business for an exit or you're building your business to be sustainably profitable. It's really the only two things you can build for. Um, oh shit, I forgot I had another point, but I lost it. <laughs> We're both doing that tonight, but we'll get back to it. I want to thank you so much for being here tonight, Chris. Uh, tell everyone again how, how they can get in touch with you. You're on Twitter. You're at Chris Honeybee on Twitter, right? Uh, yeah, at Chris underscore Honeybee on Twitter, um, at Honeybee Canico on Twitter, on Instagram. I don't really use my personal, but um, at the.honeybee.collective, um, Facebook or Instagram. I mean, Facebook or LinkedIn, just search The Honeybee Collective. You'll find us. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here tonight, Chris. LinkedIn and Twitter primarily. Um, so yeah, but follow us on there. Um, appreciate everybody's support. Um, and you can, again, you can find our crowdfunding on Mainvest, M-A-I-N-V-E-S-T.com. Um, and you can invest from there or the link tree that's on the screen here. Thank you so much, Chris. And we're going to put it in the podcast description to the link tree. So you can uh, find all about Honeybee Collective and if you want to invest in well as well with the main vest, you'll find it right there on the on the link tree link. I want to thank you again, Chris, for being here. Thank all our listeners. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Have a great night. Thank you, everybody. We're the Young Jerks. We'll see you next time. Mike Crawford.